welcome to Going Further and Higher, Shakespeare Martineau's podcast in which we discuss topical or indeed long-running themes in higher and further education. My name is Smita Jamdar and I'm partner and head of education here at Shakespeare Martineau and I'm joined today by my colleague Joanna Forbes who's a legal director in the education team with me. In today's episode we're discussing a subject that very much falls within the context of a long-running theme in higher education uh, which is around governor's remuneration. Um, it's a theme that comes up quite regularly in the developmental work we do with governing bodies, uh, in the governance effectiveness reviews we've been involved in. And most recently, I saw it referred to in the report in Research Professional of an Advance HE governance meeting last week, where again the discussion turned to whether there would be benefits in uh, remunerating governors. Um, there may well be benefits, there may well be disbenefits, but there are certainly legal issues involved. So, Joanna. Can we start then perhaps with uh, exploring what is the issue with uh, remunerating gov uh, governors? Why do institutions want to do it and what's stopping them right now? Um, well, institutions, I think, want to do it because it's seen as a way perhaps of attracting a more diverse governing body, um, improving particularly things like the age range and the um, ethnic and cultural mix of, of boards. Um, I think um, also it's the norm in many other sectors. The NHS, for example, is often cited as, um, you know, public sector uh, governing bodies where they, they have paid non-execs. Um, what's stopping them? Well, what's stopping traditional universities and higher education providers is the fact that they are charities. And there are very strict rules in charity law about paying trustees because trusteeship is, in essence, a voluntary principle. Um, and so the Charity Commission has detailed guidance about who can be paid and for what. And the, the basic principle is that you need, as a charity, to have provision in your constitution to pay trustees for being trustees, or you need to seek specific consent from the Charity Commission on an individual basis. And, and in fact, only around half, um, 10 or so traditional universities have got such a clause in their constitution at the moment. And... Um, Actually, not very many at all of them do pay their trustees. Um, in EFI, um, it's not something that's really come up very much, although actually there's the same pressing need to improve the diversity of governing bodies in EFI. But I did see recently the DFE has said that it's currently liaising with the Charity Commission on streamlining the approval processes for um, pay getting payment authorised for chairs. And it's going to issue guidance in due course. So we might see more of a move to that in EFI as well, I think. So that's very interesting, isn't it? Because it could be that we end up with a much more streamlined process for FE than we have for HE, um, which, uh, I, I, you know, obviously is not a sustainable position, I'm sure, at some point. that the mm. two. So we, we, we find, don't we, that actually people tend to ignore the charity law constraints. You know, people talk about remunerating governors as if it's something you can just do at the drop of a hat and all you need is just a resolution, forgetting that there are these legal principles that stand in the way. Absolutely. Um so let's think then about what the legal principles are. I mean, what 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 would the Charity Commission be taking into consideration if it was going to approve a request to remunerate trustees? What does it want to see? And basically, the principle is that trustees should not put themselves in a position where their personal interests conflict with their duty to act in the best interest of the charity. So what the Charity Commission is looking for is very strict sort of uh, safeguards um, so if they're going to authorise a clause allowing remuneration, 
that has to be clearly in the interest of the charity and it clearly has to provide a defined benefit to the charity. And so, you you know, you can't just say, OK, we've got this clause, we're going to pay all of our governors. Yeah. So you have to show, for example, that you can't attract to a particular role without payment or that there's some other pressing need that means that the potential conflict of interest is overridden in those circumstances. Of course, you also need to be very transparent about it in terms of publication um, and be prepared to justify it if publicly challenged, because I'm sure people know of university, there have been cases where they've proposed to pay trustees and that's been you know, all over the press and people have complained about that. So, you know, you need to have very clearly defined procedures for identifying and managing conflicts of interest. Yeah. And th so, so it's it's because of that that the Charity Commission, for example, insists that you can never have the majority, uh, well, the, the, the trustee board, uh, you must have enough unremunerated trustees yeah. in order to make decisions uh, ignoring the conflict that potentially the, the remunerated trustees are then subject yes to. because if you pay everyone then there's nobody left is there to make okay, a decision seven. so it's you know the people vote, voting for their own remuneration which clearly wouldn't be acceptable and it, the, the other aspect I think that's quite interesting about what happens if you do start remunerating um, is that I think the charity commission would expect there to then be quite robust monitoring of performance of yeah. the remunerated trustees um and and again it, it, we don't necessarily have a very well-developed system of, of um performance management of boards of governors anyway it's something that a lot of institutions are implementing and are sort of on a journey towards establishing yeah i mean i think a lot of charities that do pay trustees also put formal processes in writing, almost like a contract, mm -hmm. saying, you know, what the remuneration is for, what would be expected, you know, what, yeah, what the sort of objectives of that of that role would be uh, and how they would be appraised. Yeah, which I think is all things that, as you say, are not done at all at the moment. I mean, the Charity Commission guidance basically says it will only give authority where the number of trustees is a minority. So I think, yeah. you know, that's, again, something that people just don't, they don't think about it. they think it's a sort of catch-all once they've got the the provision to pay that that's the end of it and it's really not yeah and i'm always struck by going back to the point you just made about having a contract or, or it wouldn't be a contract because we can't conceptually see it as a contract but having some sort of agreed statement of, of exactly what the the remunerated trustee is going to do um does change the relationship between uh, the the trustee and the institution inevitably because you suddenly do start to see it as a bit more of a transactional relationship rather than you know as as a matter of law these the, the governing bodies are the institution they mm. they are the physical embodiment of of I think of, you also risk potentially having a kind of two tier governing body where some are paid and some are not and I mean whether that might cause resentment or people who are not paid to think perhaps oh well they wouldn't put so much effort in or they really can't be bothered whereas the paid ones might you know view it more serious I mean I just I think there are there are very many more issues other than just yes we've got the clause now we'll get on and do it I think you know you have to think very deeply about how that affects yeah. the makeup of the board and how it operates yeah, because it, of course, from a legal perspective, it doesn't alter the the duties at no. all. That the whole That's board sure. is subject to the same responsibilities, um, and indeed, uh, you know, is expected to to be part of that collective challenge and test and 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 decision making so i think you're very that's a really important point how do you ensure that that doesn't happen that people don't think um there's a sort of elevated 
role associated with remuneration that, that changes the nature of, how, of the duties themselves, which, which plainly it doesn't. Um, I think the other aspect of this which the discussion often ends up focusing on is, is um, looking at the roles which have the biggest responsibilities. So typically, obviously, the chair of the board, but also other chairs. And then the idea is you remunerate those positions. But that doesn't quite necessarily tackle the two issues that you sort of outlined at the outset. No, the diversity issue is the key one, isn't it? Yeah, because because the chairs and the people who are taking those senior roles are unlikely to be the people that you're trying to attract in to develop as governance. Um, In fact, one of my university clients at the moment is very keen to have a clause because they are very concerned about one of their very junior governors who has said that she is unable to remain because she can't afford to miss job, her her job. So, you know, actually paying the chair doesn't help with that, does it? It, No. What you need to think about is how, if the purpose is to attract younger governors or people from more diverse backgrounds, that's one thing. If you're paying people for the workload and the time they put in, that's a completely separate thing, isn't it? Yeah. And then, when, as, as I say, once it becomes about the workload mm. and the time, it does start to feel very, very transactional. Yeah. Um, and I'm also struck by how many, you know, you, you made the point that um, uh, there's about 10 universities that have the power mm. to pay, but a significant number currently don't pay, even though yeah. they have the power. And that's because they can still attract people without payment to often the, the, the senior roles. Um, and so that kind of, again, flies in the face of the Charity Commission's approach to this, which is you have to, first of all, yeah. show you couldn't recruit without it. So well, that's the interesting thing, perhaps, about the, the, the position in Effie, because I think you know, my experience of being a governor in Effie, we did struggle to attract people to be the chair, maybe because it's not seen as such high status or I, I don't know. So in, in some ways, that their focus on payments of chairs might be more justified in the yeah. FE sector, perhaps. But I think in universities, you've got people usually queuing up to be on the chair of university board, haven't you? So, well, um, there's, certainly, like, there's certainly much less of an issue in attracting, um, although I'm sure many institutions would say they, they still don't get quite the level of interest yeah. uh, that, that you would expect. And partly I think that is because the responsibilities on boards is, is sort of going up and up and up, and the expectation yeah. of that time is definitely um, increasing. That does make me wonder, though, whether actually if we if we are struggling to recruit in particular roles um, or from particular backgrounds, are there other things we should be thinking of doing rather than payment? And sort of yeah, and I think there are quite a number of things. I mean, obviously, people have looked at targeted recruitment. There are specialist agencies and advisory um, bodies that that specialise in in finding governors from diverse backgrounds. Um, I heard last week when I was at the AOC conference, um, an organisation which takes a lot of time to, you know, uh, cultivate potential candidates, rings them, discusses the role, explains what's involved in more detail. And actually, you know, the initial reluctance, thinking it's not something that that they would be interested in, is often overcome in that circumstance. I've also actually recently seen um, a board of governors which lists two apprentice governors at the end of its um, attendees. So that's obviously another scheme that they're trying to get people in the pipeline to move, you know, to move up into, you know, to full roles later. I imagine that those are younger people, perhaps, I don't know whether they may perhaps be um, graduates of the university, maybe, who've been interested in governance. So I thought that was quite an interesting That really is, thing isn't it? To do. And how else can you make being a governor more appealing? I mean, you could, you could offer, I mean, I think you've got to sell it on the basis it's a, it's, it is a good developmental activity. You know, you learn a lot, you learn a lot of transferable skills, 
you meet some really interesting people. The universities you, you might be involved with have got very interesting things going on, as well as the sort of feel-good factor of, you know, doing something positive to help young people. Um, you can ensure that people know that they can claim their expenses. I think that some universities perhaps are a little, not, not reluctant, they all have a policy, but whether they're actually proactively offering people expenses. I mean, the Charity Commission suggests that actually in certain cases, you should offer out-of-pocket expenses in advance yeah. so that people who couldn't afford the childcare or the, or the travel or whatever it is don't worry about claiming the money and then having to wait for, you know, X weeks before it's reimbursed. So if you wanted to make payments in advance, I think that's, um, you know, something you could think about. And also you can, you know, make sure that you offer proper sort of development activities for governors, training, you know, sort of skills. As I say, you know, I think it's a very valuable thing to do. You can learn a lot. And if the governing body invests in the people that it's got and provides them with something that they can benefit from then I think that would make being a governor more appealing and I certainly think there's so much more that we can do in those ways before yeah. thinking that you know full payment or, or payment of even uh, a, you know a reasonable amount would would be the way forward so I, I certainly think governors deserve a lot more than they they get in terms of induction and ongoing um, support. It's always time though, isn't it? There's a balance. You know, people are reluctant to, to sort yeah. of invest a lot of time in training for something that's voluntary. But I think, you, you know, if you can persuade them that it is giving them something other than just, you know, for the day-to-day -day role, I think that's a positive thing that you can offer. Brilliant. Well, that was absolutely fascinating, Joanna. Thank you very much. Um, thanks very much for listening. We hope you'll join us next time and do hit the subscribe button if, you, if you'd like to join us. And if you like what you've heard today, please do leave a review. Bye. Bye.